0: Just when you think you have all the answers, somebody comes along and rips the script up and changes all the questions. This weekend, that individual was a Juliana Penner, pulling off one of the biggest upsets in the sport of MMA ever when she dethroned Amanda Nunes with a second round submission to capture the UFC women's bantamweight title as part of a stacked UFC 269 card which formed part of an unreal Saturday night in the combat sport we also had the return of Lomachenko who dazzled as ever Conor Ben with a massive win perhaps the best performance of his career more wins for Donier and Bivol along with Sonny Edwards shining in Dubai it was all going off this weekend and once again we are here locked and loaded ready to wrap it up this is Catchweight We'll kick the action off with what I thought was the card of the night, UFC 269. In the main event, Charles Oliveira defends his lightweight title, overcoming a devastating first round to submit Dustin Poirier in the third round and cement himself as the number one lightweight on the planet. But all the headlines were stolen by the dethroning and the fall of his compatriot in the co-main event as Amanda Nunes, the dominant champ champ, the featherweight and bantamweight women's champion looking as dominant as ever a juggernaut untouchable unbeatable and juliana penna was just simply there to make up the numbers or so we thought she had the lioness wounded and tired before taking her down at ease and locking in a pretty easy choke for the tap and that was all she wrote juliana Pena with Perhaps the biggest upset in the history of the UFC. We're going to discuss that. But before, we'll dive in with the early prelims action. Gillian Robertson, with one second to spare in the first round, submits Priscilla Cochera with a rear naked choke. This could mark the end for the Brazilian Cochera, though, with a very bad look of her trying to gouge the eyes, not once but twice, of her opponent in an attempt to get out of the choke. That was a very bad look, and that will not fare well in terms of her future career aspirations. Tony Kelly... He was not the favourite against Randy Costa but he certainly looked like it after a few exchanges on the feet. He stopped Randy Costa in the second round. The volume, the stance switching, Joe Rogan pointed out a lot and I just couldn't take my eyes off it the way he seamlessly switched from orthodox to southpaw and just looked comfortable in both. Ryan Hall back in the win column with a big win over Derek Minna. Derek Minner did very well in the scrambles to survive and not get submitted but he couldn't do much else. Ryan Hall had his way with him in the ground, had a couple of times where he was viced onto the ankle but like I said Minna did very well to survive them and not succumb to any submissions. Nonetheless, Ryan Hall back in the win column and hopefully he can get some more activity behind his book and maybe try and make a bit of a run. Miranda Maverick and Ellen Blanchfield, I believe, Erin Blanchfield, excuse me, is the youngest fighter on the roster and she pretty much dominated Miranda Maverick in quite a stunning result, in my opinion. Just had her way with her on her ground. Maverick was very well known for her wrestling and grappling prowess, but Blanchfield, one of the youngest fighters on the roster, if not the youngest, I believe at 22 years of age, looked exceptional in this fight. And how about Andre Munez? After breaking jaco's arm earlier in the summer, he gets another big, big submission victory, this time submitting Eric Anders in the first round with an armbar. Just had his way with him in the ground, really. Eric Anders was able to scramble up to his feet momentarily after a first takedown, but Munez, got a hold of the arm when he had the back take and just worked his way to the arm bar, belly down arm bar and Anders was forced to tap. Moniz is really becoming a force at middleweight. He is someone to really look out for as a future contender. Now crack the top 15, a brilliant win streak, looking very, very dangerous when the fight hits the ground and incredible wrestling as well. The takedown was beautifully timed. Yeah, this Muniz guy is is a problem, I think, at 185, so definitely look out for him. And then on to the televised prelims. Jordan Wright looked comfortable, was building a healthy lead against Bruno Silva, had him in the tie plum clinch and tried to work with those knees, but Bruno Silva clipped him behind the ear with a solid right hand, and Jordan Wright's legs were gone from there. Bruno Silva followed it up with some huge shots and got a massive, massive stoppage victory. A big win for Bruno Silva, that is. What an electric first round we saw there. Tied to Ivasa. Of course, we were going to see the Shui if he got the knockout. And he did just that. Augusto Sakai was on the back foot for most of the fight. And when Tai Tuivasa was able to catch him circling to one side and unload against the fence, Tuivasa forced Sakai to crumble in a heap. And he picks up a massive win. Tuivasa now finally cracks the heavyweight rankings, building up some momentum after that massive stoppage over Greg Hardy. And he is clearly a fan favourite if they're putting him on the big Vegas pay-per-view cards. And obviously the fans love him, putting all sorts of saliva beer and whatever else you put in a shoe to drink it I don't necessarily approve of that, but, you know, each their own. And Tai Tuivasa really making a name for himself now. Bam Bam with a massive way to end out the year. He just completely rocked Sakai. When he had him troubled, Sakai tried to cover up. He took a lot of punishment. And yeah, his body just gave in after those those final few shots. At 37 years of age, through all the surgeries, all the wars, and those miles in the octagon, Dominic Cruz is still going strong. And he's still going strong in a shark tank that is the 135-pound division. He picked up a massive win over Pedro Munoz but not without a bit of adversity in the first round he was dropped wobbled and in in a world of trouble Munoz of course known a lot for his power and he had Cruz in a lot of trouble in that first stanza Cruz was able to ride out and in the second the third just got into his rhythm and completely bewildered and bemused the Brazilian who was already coming off that loss to Jose Aldo this time he just couldn't really get near him in the second and third rounds Cruz cracked him a lot Cruz didn't have the power but he's never has had the power with the way his footwork is and the way he throws his shots but he had enough to keep Munoz away from him and just the second and third rounds were just brilliant even Munoz wanted to go for the kicks you've seen what he was doing but he just couldn't even start because anytime he would he'd be forced to reset with just a quick shot out of nowhere whether that's a switching left hook from Dominic Cruz or whatever else was in his arsenal but here we are Dominic Cruz still going strong in the Bantamweight division. This is just unprecedented what he's doing now. Yeah there was a lot of headlines on him during fight week over the comments about DC and stuff like that but he had a good little post-fight interview as well trying to get everyone to unite together and you know Dominic Cruz still got a couple of fights left in him it looks like clearly at 37 not necessarily the most fastest phenom at this point in time but he has a brain he has a knowledge of the game few people are as knowledgeable as him when it comes to the game and his skill his style that he has crafted over the years through the very best of content Around the world is clearly still going strong, even in a bantamweight division that is progressing as much as it is here. A massive win for Dominic Cruz. And the final prelim Josh Emmett on his return from over a year out due to an ACL injury picks up a big win over Dan IG, a thrilling win, shall I say, in uh, their featherweight contest. Emmett picked up away, left off in the first round, hurting IG, dropping him badly, following up with the ground a pound. 50k the Hawaiian was able to survive, ride it out, and actually control it for some parts of that round. The second round, IG actually hurt Emmett with a brilliant left hook. The legs were gone of Emmett for a second but then again he dug deep. Both fighters were very damaged around the face area. In the third round it was a back and forth fight IG was trying to control him with his jab and trying to just, you know, not let Emmett really load up on anything, but I think Emmett did enough just to take over that second that third round and he picked up the win on the judges' scorecards with a unanimous decision nod. They're really strapping the rocket ship to the Sugar Show and why wouldn't they when you look at the performance that he pulled out to open the main card. O'Malley, in his fifth consecutive pay-per-view, stops Raul Pover in the th- first round of the fight. An exceptional display of striking, just a brilliant, brilliant finish and this guy is a superstar in the making at bantamweight Piver tried to go for those low kicks he did land a couple but O'Malley was largely unfazed by them O'Malley was really beginning to get his range, his head movement was brilliant, always out the way when Paiva loaded up, Paiva was telegraphing a bit, just I think more just out of uh, intimidation from what was going to come his way from O'Malley and then towards the end of the first round, O'Malley had corks a cracker of a right hand, he went for the one-two but just pulled the jab short, so fainted the jab and landed that right hand flush, Paiva goes down, he tries to spring back up, goes for a single leg but O'Malley does not let him off the hook, some brilliant shot variety and combinations going to the body whilst Paiva covers up and then Paiva Eventually, just goes down in the heap, and Jason Herzog saves him from any more punishment. This was a superb performance, the best performance yet from O'Malley, in my opinion. With all the spotlights on him, he is getting better and better right now, and I think we really are going to see him catapult up the rankings now to some f- very fun fights at bantamweight. In terms of what next for him, we could possibly see him against Garbrandt if the UFC want to throw Garbrandt to the wolves. At this point, he does seem a bit, you know past it now we'll talk about that um in the next fight obviously he fought he fought and lost to kai kai in a brutal first round defeat but I think the Chito-Vera fight will be there now as well if O'Malley's willing to take that and if the UFC are willing to risk him against um, Cheeto, I think that would be a massive fight now with Vera still uh, getting a bit of a streak going and O'Malley doing the same. That would be very interesting. But either way, the UFC are going to keep having the eyes on Sugar Sean, who's just transcending the sport now as well. Of course, he's hanging with the likes of Jake Paul, 6'9", all these big stars in the US, a big star on social media. He's got all sorts of famous people commenting on his Instagram posts this is really a uh, a big big person to invest in, his stock is extremely high and it's only going to get higher with a performance like that, he backs it up, the style just the, the fluidity of the striking and the right hand was picture perfect, he set him up so well and I think O'Malley is going to have an even bigger 2022 but a massive way to close out the year for Sugar Sean, the Sugar show keeps on rolling Kaikara France absolutely wrecked the flyweight debut of Cody Garbrandt with a lethal first round finish not only to position himself perhaps for the winner of the Figueroa vs Moreno trilogy fight next year, but also really putting the career and the future of Cody Garbrandt in great jeopardy. This could be it or close to the end for the former bantamweight champion. Cara France took the centre, started stalking down Garbrandt. Garbrandt with his back on the fence basically circling to other side and just trying to time his way in, a couple of leg kicks here and there and then he gets hit with a clean overhand right, perfectly on the button, is in a world of trouble Carl France jumps on him, Garbrandt is able to flee and Garbrandt's trying to load up and land some major but he's just it's just telegraphed at this point and then it's kind of back to that retro Garbrandt, the almost self-destructive Garbrandt where he's loading up and just ready in the pocket, almost leaving his chin on a silver platter for his opponent Carl France's patience here was incredible the way he just allowed Garbrandt to make the mistakes and allowed Garbrandt to walk onto something eventually around a minute of Garbrandt being hurt he was able to finish him off with a huge combination and he went down again and the referee mercifully stopped it this was a superb breakout performance from Kai Karl France it makes you wonder is this the end of the road for Garbrandt quite possibly the drop down to flyer wouldn't have helped his durability he has had a lot of trouble taking punishment in the past he does get hit clean in most of these fights or at least after defeating Dominic Cruz and it's just You know, a stunning turn of events, really. Back in 2016, the end of the year pay-per-view there, Garbrandt had the world at his feet when he dazzled for five rounds and did the unthinkable by dethroning Dominic Cruz. And now we have Dominic Cruz still looking good, still mixing mixing it up with the very best, whereas Cody Garbrandt had already been ushered out of bantamweight after suffering some big losses against top contenders, tried the flyweight experiment, and it went disastrously wrong for him here at UFC 269. Garbrandt must have been wishing that Karl Franz would have just unloaded and gassed out, punched himself out, but Karl Franz was so patient and he just picked some brilliant combinations he couldn't miss in the last few exchanges of the fight. That right hand just continued to land on the chin and Garbrandt just had no response. For Garbrandt, yeah, like I said, this really could be it. I wonder if the UFC might try and feed him to Sean O'Malley, get that big name on Sean O'Malley's record. It'll be a big fight. They, they of course, planted the seeds for it in the press conference. But possibly this could be it for Cody Garbrandt. He has taken a lot of damage, a lot of big knockout losses now. Ever since that loss to TJ Dillashaw, it's just been a downwards um, decline. He had that win against Rafael Asunchal, which was a stunning knockout. But after that, it's just back going downhill. Rob Font pieced him up for five rounds. And now we have the flyweights knocking him out as well. I think Garba needs to take a long look in the mirror and see where he goes from here now. Because who would have thought that this guy was going to be in this position after perhaps he was the next heir to the throne at Banter, where he looked like he was going to hold that belt for a long time and usher in the new era at 135 pounds then all of a sudden all of a sudden all these killers come in and Garbrandt is now staring down the barrel and perhaps at the end of his UFC tenure when you fall in love with the power you're often willing to take a shot or two and Garbrandt has been willing to take those shots and he pays for it wanting to get in those gunfights when the instant comes in Garbrandt just wants to trade and relies on his more significant power doing the job but in this case Carl France didn't let him do that Carl France caught him with the first clean shot Garbrandt was a wounded animal from there on in and Karl Franz didn't let him off the hook patiently worked his way for a electric first round stoppage and you know his, his um, credentials for title shot are very well up there there are the likes of Pantoja and Askarov of course Circling around the top of the flyweight division, which is really booming now. Manel Cape is also up there, or he will be up there soon. Um, a lot of potential fights for him. I think Carl France might have to wait a little bit, maybe towards the midpoint of the year to get that title shot, unless he takes on the likes of Asgravo or Pantoja. But, you know, there could be... It's all to play for now, shall we say, at flyweight. Figueiredo Moreno look to close out the trilogy in January. And then it's all systems go at £125. And Carl France is right up there at the top of the pile. What a statement made from... Cara France. Now, I'll be honest, I didn't particularly pay much attention to the Santiago, Ponzinibbio and Jeff Neal fight, considering the fact that Lomachenko was fighting at the same time. I wonder if that was an um, intentional uh, ploy from ESPN, just so they could um, you know, maximise the boast out of each card, because it was quite convenient that as soon as the Garbrandt fight finished, Lomachenko was making his entrance, and um, yeah, that was during the Jeff Neal and Ponzinibbio fight, and by that time it was over, it was um, time for the co-main event. But yeah, Ponzinibbio and Neal... Both fighters didn't look particularly good, shall I say. Ponzinibbio hasn't really had the edge to him after coming back from that illness. You can understand both um, fighters for being in the condition they're in and what they've gone through, to be fair. But yeah, it's Jeff Neal who gets the split decision win. A bit of controversy for him, still staying on the card after the um, DUI driving under the influence charges a couple of weeks before the fight. But yeah, he gets the job done in the welterweight division. Neither fighter did look particularly impressive, if I'm being critical, but yeah, it is what it is. I wonder where Ponzinibbio will go from here. He'll still have a couple of fights around that top, you know, the top 15 welterweight division. Neal, he could slot in there with the likes of, um, you know, possibly a Hamzat. I think they might shoot a bit further than that for Hamzat, however. But yeah, Jeff Neal with the split decision win. And now on to the two title fights. What a 1-2 closer we had for UFC 269. Just phenomenal. And we'll start with Juliana Pena shocking the world, dethroning, defeating Amanda Nunes, submitting her in the second round just shocking, Un- all round unbelievable, the game plan worked to perfection though clearly, Penna looked very strong on the feet, surprisingly so Nunez had a great start, tagged her, clicked her with a couple of shots, dropped her with a right hand and then followed her to the ground in the first round controlled her on top for the most part although Pena did pursue a Kimura, a bit of a nervy moment for Nunez at the end of the first round with Pena uh, going for that Kimura uh, she survived it of course to see out the round uh, both fighters already had pu- pushed out a lot of output in that first round Penna was loading up on shots Nunez was landing very well in that first round in particular Pena's jab kind of throwing it a bit I think she was a bit tentative in the fire but in the second round she said to hell with that and all of a sudden we saw Nunez getting more more and more tired she was getting hit by a couple of shots and then all of a sudden Nunez looked very slow extremely tired and she was almost there for the taking and after a couple more right hands a lot of jabs she was getting busted up by that jab Nunez was all over the place she was wobbled after after a few more exchanges taken down at ease um, Pena gets the back, doesn't even have to put the hooks in gets a choke and Nunez taps and that is it, the world goes ballistic the UFC fabric gets ripped up once again and Juliana Pena is the women's bantamweight champion just an incredible turn of events I couldn't believe what I was seeing when it that fight switched early in the second round and we saw Nunez tired, we saw her slow and we saw Pena beginning to load up and land at will when Pena had success on the feet I was screaming for her to get the takedown because that is what she needed to do to take Amanda out and and she did just that she didn't give Amanda a chance to detonate that right hand and it didn't even look like it was going to land in the second round because Amanda just looked absolutely sluggish and there for the taking and then she just kind of submitted at that point just rolled over a bit too easily which makes you wonder was she just completely gassed out at that point was that the game plan of Pena just to tire out Amanda. Did they expect it to happen this quickly? Because I don't think I did after a champion of that caliber to be tired in the second round. It does make you wonder perhaps was, was, were, were, are these the ramifications and the, the, the long-term consequences from COVID or something else going on in Amanda Nunez. Maybe this was the, the, the brow of the hill for her and now it's going downhill after a long rain, a long dominant reign at 135 and 145 pounds. I think they're going to try and run it back if Nunez is going to be here to stay. I think she has had uh, one foot out the door or maybe want an eye on that uh, in the last few fights of her career she just really builds a legacy now there isn't isn't much for her to accomplish besides obviously this rematch now with, if Pena and Nunez can get it over the line she is still of course a 145 pounds title holder how long that will stay I'm not sure but yeah this this was a, a absolutely stunning result in my opinion it is a the top two uh, for upsets of UFC history alongside Sarah vs GSP Pena did present a different threat to her but she was dismissed just because her striking credentials were never that good and yet she was able to jab Amanda's head off tire her out and then take her down and and capitalise on the opportunity and this right here is why we love this sport Pena, an underdog you had someone betting over 300 grand on Nunez this was a foregone conclusion for most people that she was either going to get outboxed or brutally stopped and then all of a sudden she drags Amanda Nunez not even into deep waters just into her territory and does that like it's just an unprecedented upset it's going to take a lot of processing even during the main event I was still struggling to shake that off I was like did that really just happen and I think everyone shared that reaction and it just goes to show when you're at the top it's 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 hard getting there but it's a whole different ball game trying to stay there and even if you beat the very greats of the women's game the Misha Tates the Ronda Rousey's the Holly Holmes the Chris Cyborgs a Juliana Penny can just come and give you a different look and absolutely shock you when when the the, cart, the the decks are stacked against her. Something that, you know, just a, another turn of the tide. One one option to go to go to the ground. For example, Nunez following Penna to the ground and trying to take her out by a ground a pound rather than opting to stay up. That could have been a downfall because she did exert a lot of energy trying to keep Penna down. And Penna was probably enjoying it because she managed to tr- take an almost dominant or almost dangerous position in the ground in the first round. And then built on that in the second when Amanda was tired. So Penna works the game plan to perfection. Few people would have backed her in this fight. Obviously, she backed herself. She went into the fire. And she was calling for this Amanda fight for a long time, and now you see why, because she was able to do that. And Juliana Penner, the women's bantamweight champion, they will try and run it back if Nunez stays around, or they may even let Penner have a crack at the 145-pound title, which would be very interesting to see if she can dethrone the champ champ. But, wow, what a result. And, and congratulations to the Venezuelan vixen for one of the biggest upsets in the history of MMA. And if that wasn't enough, we had a spectacular main event to close out the card. This was really the fight to determine the number one lightweight in the world after just Dustin Poirier opted out of the vacant lightweight title fight to pursue a trilogy fight with Conor McGregor. Chandler stepped in, Oliveira stopped him in the second round. Poirier finally got his shot and he made a brilliant start in the first round. He badly hurt Oliveira. The power differential was there for all to see and you could tell that Oliveira was a former featherweight, it was similar to Holloway and Poirier, where Poirier, anytime he would land, it just wobbled Holloway, completely just put his anatomy in jeopardy, whereas when Holloway landed, it was acknowledged by Poirier, but he was never really in big trouble, Poirier... Dropped Oliveira a couple of times in that first round and looked really in control. Oliveira, again, he answered the questions about his vulnerability. Before, early in his career, he was seen as a frail, fragile fighter who would roll over at the first gust of wind. Now he was able to see that out. And in the second round is where he really took control. He was able to get Poirier down and control him in the full guard for most of that round. Poirier was willing just to keep him close and you know not allow um, Oliveira to advance at all. He did eat a couple of elbows. And in the third round... A lovely exchange where Oliveira just dips into a wide hook from Poirier. He gets his back against the fence, jumps onto the back, gets a choke in. Oliveira is able to just wait for Poirier to try and hand fight. Eventually he gets a choke in and Poirier does a standing tap. And that is all she wrote. Charles Oliveira passes another huge assignment there's just something about this guy who has just went through it all in the UFC not only in the UFC as well but in life he's gone through all the adversity and he's just here to to pull through those rounds and pull through those hard moments to come out on top like this we all thought Poirier could have dragged him into deep waters but it was in fact Oliveira who weathered the storm and sunk that choke in and did not let go until Poirier would tap out you've got to be gutted for Dustin Poirier he had a big year two big wins over the biggest star in the sport and lining up for this big shot at the Undisputed title, a second crack at it after losing to Habib uh, two years ago. And again, he he has success, but he just isn't able to get the job done. He came against a formidable Charles Oliveira, Doe Bronx, at the top of lightweight once again. What an unbelievable result and an unbelievable fight again. Spectacular. Where do do both guys go from here? I think they're going to line Poirier up with Gagey now. Pardon me, uh, Oliveira up with Gagey after Gagey defeated Chandler. I think that's probably the next fight to make when you consider that Makachev and Dariusho are going to fight as well. In terms of Poirier, I think him versus Chandler was a fun fight. Chandler was already angling for it, calling him out. Poirier could even go up to 170. maybe a fight with Colby. There's a lot of big fights, of course, the Conor 4 fight as well. So Poirier, if he wants to fight, there's still a lot of big fights. But you may wonder if he does continue now, because this is his second um, shot at the Undisputed title. It was a hard climb back to it after being defeated by Habib. He had the fights with Hooker and uh, the two with McGregor. And now here he is in the same situation, getting to the top, getting close to the title. He had Habib in the guillotine, the most danger Habib had ever been in. And he had Oliveira badly hurt, but then he ends up tapping out, gets caught in that choke. And that is all she wrote. So, yeah, it's a bitter, bitter pill to swallow for Paul. If he continues, I I, I don't really have a doubt that he would. I think he would have a couple more big fights. There are some interesting ones for him at 155 and 170. But, yeah, this has got to be a a really, really tough pill to swallow in in your second undisputed title bid. And that will do it for the UFC 269 card. What a way to close out the pay-per-view this year. All the pay-per-views have been absolutely banging this year, I believe, especially with the crowds back. They've just absolutely loaded the cards. This was no different. The prelims went off. The finishes from O'Malley and Cara France in the main card before Pena shocks the world. And then Oliveira retains his title and secures, cements his place as the best 155-pounder in the world. The Khabib chasm left behind by the retirement of... The eagle has now well and truly been filled and it may be filled for some time because it's going to take something special to put Charles Oliveira away in the form that he is in right now. Congratulations to the Bronx and of course, congratulations to Penner as well for that stunning win. What a night it was at UFC 269 and now let's switch on to the boxing because there were plenty of fights on Saturday night. Firstly, in Liverpool, Conor Ben with the most spectacular performance of his career in my books starching Chris Algieri in the fourth round. A very patient performance from Ben, who looked from the start like the more dangerous, the younger, fresher and more powerful fighter. Algieri did well to try and neutralise him, landed a couple of pop counters, single shots, albeit, whilst Ben paraded forward and really invested in the body very early, landed some brilliant shots to the body. Algieri had a great poker face to shake them off, but in the fourth round, he's backed up. Ben picks his moment perfectly with a lethal one-two. The straight right, he uncorks is an absolute... Corker of a punch and Algeria goes down there was a chance for Ben to find a shot as he went on the way down but there was no need for it Algeria down in the heap. the referee counts I don't know why but yeah it was called off very quick after Connor Ben embraces his father in the ring after and then really sets the table for what would be a big 2022 for him there's some big fights there in the welterweight division maybe a Virgil Ortiz maybe even a Jaron Ennis or perhaps before that they could look at someone like Adrian Broner david avenesian or even perhaps i think the biggest one for me in terms of the star appeal and the size of the fight would be him trying to line himself up with the winner of khan versus brook i think they'll have to offer the winner of that fight a lot of cash because you know they will ultimately be putting a lot on the line to you know if they are going to lose to someone like the conor ben a star in the making but yeah i think there's a lot of big fights for conor ben now he has really got the fans behind him his improvements that he's making under Tony Sims from that first young fighter who coming in with a big name to fill, big shoes to fill uh, from his father. And here he is putting on a performance like that, his best performance to date. He's only getting better and better at lethal puncher. That power he's carrying could knock out anyone in the welterweight division if he lands. And he's he's applied the patience. He's learned a lot from that Granada's fight, which was a bit of a, a snooze fest. Not really much of his fault. It was more a case of Granada's just backing up for that whole fight. But here, Algeria came to fight and he'd landed the perfect shot when the time permitted, and he has made another massive statement. 2022 is going to be a major year for the destroyer Connor Ben. Perhaps he can even get closer to that world title. It's a it's a shark tank of a division. There are some lethal lethal talents, and I think they've timed it well by allowing him enough time to develop his skills and now they'll they'll try and slowly land that plane into terms of the very top elite and if Eddie Hearn and the promotion can pull this off fair play to them but they have a very hard-working and lethal athlete in Connor Ben to do the business. In the co the consensus greatest women's boxer of all time the undisputed lightweight champion Katie Taylor defeats Firuza Sharapova with a solid points victory but again another one where she does make things a bit tougher for herself than they needed to be. She does sometimes choose to trade rather than box. And this is a problem that has plagued the last few fights in her career. But she gets the job done, and now maybe they can look at making that that big fight in 2022, that big name on her resume, perhaps an Amanda Serrano who fights next week. But yeah, Katie Taylor did did what she had to do. Sharapova was very game, but towards the end of the fight, and especially that point deduction as well, which I thought was a bit harsh, it just allowed Katie Taylor to really build in her lead and just not really really lose track of things. Sharapova had her moments in the first few rounds, but Taylor was just able to take over like she does using her experience. Of course, there is you know the aging factor. She has been in the game of boxing for a long time now. And of course, the physical attributes are going to slow down. That's why they've got a strike while the iron's hot and get a big fight when she's got all the belts and everything intact. And 2022 will have to be that year if they can pull it off. But... You know, I saw a lot of people favouring Amanda Serrano now because of the power that she holds and the fact that Katie Taylor is willing to exchange and get hit more than she needs to. But if Katie Taylor can clean up that game plan, it is a a monumental fight. And let's hope we see it in 2022. Robbie Davies Jr. is with a career highlight win, I would say, as he defeats and retires Hank Lundy with a second round stoppage. Davies Jr. probably expected a tougher night than he got, but Lundy... Was hurt badly, fell out the ring and could not answer the count after Davies swarmed on him. A massive win for Robbie Davis Jr. Joe Cordina with a win over Mikko Kachatian. Sorry for the poor pronunciation. But yeah, he looked good. The hand speed was decent. I thought he had times there to finish the job. He couldn't do um, his opponent was game. But ultimately Cordina is... Uh, training in the right direction. If you could continue to get those fights under his belt and keep this activity, there are big things ahead in the new year. But that was another solid card by Matchroom. I love what they're doing, the boxing that they're putting on, the fighters that they're building and I think they've really got something good going for themselves here. They've got some more big fights in 2022, a lot of stars under their banner as well and yeah Eddie Hearn is doing a fantastic job so props to him. They go again with Parker and Chisora next week in Manchester. We also had top rank closing out the year with the return of Vasil Lomachenko to take on Richard Comey. Ultimately, it was a lopsided, showpiece, unanimous decision win for the Ukrainian, who at times probably could have finished the job against Comey, but didn't, and instead appealed to his corner to stop the fight for him. There were a couple of rounds where Comey was buzzed badly, just couldn't really figure out Lomachenko. He did have a few moments, but Lomachenko was just on a different level. The footwork and just the whole package really dazzled Richard Comey. He stung him with a solid left hand at the end of the second round and instead of jumping on him, just pointed towards the corner of Komi, telling him to go back to his corner. We'll see him in the third round. Just a just a brilliant performance all round. The the further the fight went on, the more Lomachenko was oozing confidence getting his combinations together whereas Komi was becoming more and more gun gunshot just not wanting to throw because he knew that any lazy jabs which he threw quite a lot in the early early rounds would just get punished badly by the Ukrainian star. Komi was game Komi was tough in the sixth round he was battered up against the corner but was able to just back Lomachenko up with some body shots and throughout the fight to be fair he was a live dog he was always dangerous but it was just a case of Lomachenko deterring him and Lomachenko never really getting hit clean or never really getting buzzed badly. Come took a hard fall in the seventh round, a big combination, and he comes over the top with a left hook. Comi goes down. I thought that was going to be the end of the fight. The way Comi dropped, it was a big knockdown, but to his credit, the former IBF title holder is able to come up and see out the fight. Lomachenko was pleading with the Comi corner to stop the fight. Just an unbelievable scene. Uh, a, a testament to his sportsmanship, but also perhaps, you know, a silent arrogance saying, Look, stop, stop the fighter. Stop the fight. I'm gonna hurt your fighter. But yeah, Lomachenko was. Unable to get the job done in terms of finishing him because Comi was able to hang on for dear life in that last round, just hanging on, trying to see the final bell. But yeah, this was a lopsided victory for Lomachenko. In my personal opinion, I believe he's the best lightweight on the planet now, perhaps if not, you know, you know number two. Because um, yeah, Kambosos has the victory over Lopez, but I think Lomachenko, just the resume he's got together, and and the fact that he's not, you know, in line for a title shot yet, surely he's going to be after this fight. Is is criminal? I feel you know Haney and Lopez. So Haney and Cabosas Jr. should fight for the undisputed at some point in two thousand twenty two. Lomachenko's got to be there next, or even in that conversation for the fight, if not, you know, designated a mandatory because you know he's he's still at a special time in his career, thirty three, not necessarily old, but you know, he's not getting any younger. They've got to get, get him these these chances now. He's had the two big wins over Nakatani and Kami to get back on the win column after the stunning defeat to TFI by Lopez. And now it's a case of building on that and, and going for those titles again, trying to reclaim it. What a story it will be if he you know scales the summit once again because he looks more than capable i don't see many lightweights or many you know many fighters in general dealing with the with the skill that he possesses and it's still as sharp as ever and still as dangerous as ever as we saw against richard Comey. so Vasil lomachenko you know still a threat and let's see if he can get that world title back in 2022 the prospects were out on full show again in this card. Xander Zayas with a first round stoppage. Keyshawn Davis, the Turco 2021 Olympian, uh, makes his top rank debut with a splash of second round stoppage for him. Jared Anderson, a massive knockout for him as well. Nico Ali Walsh with a decision victory. And of course, also on the show, we had a segment where Tyson Fury came out. It was almost like I was watching WWE at that point. He grabbed the mic, went in the middle of the ring and then proceeded to serenade Bob Arum with a happy birthday for his 90th birthday. I thought they were going to make a big announcement there. The only drama in terms of the future Fiori heavyweight fights we saw was um, him um, meeting Usyk again. You know, handshake, all cordial there. There was talk of Fury and White you know, becoming ordered by the WBC. That's one step in the right direction. Whether or not that fight comes into fruition is a whole other one entirely. But, yeah, fingers crossed we do get to see that and we're not waiting around too much and we don't have another situation where Fury's out on the sidelines for a prolonged period of time. Uh, but, yeah, let's let's hope that can happen anyway. Uh, onto the rest of the boxing cards now. We had Dmitry Bivol against Salomov. A routine decision win for Bivol. Again, a fight where... Bivol exhibited all he needed, the power, the defence, everything was on point, but he just never really jumped on the trigger, and I thought Salomov was there for the taking after the third and fourth round, but Bivol just seemed content never to really take a risk and, and just get a win like that, now it's a case of Bivol, should he fight Beterbiev? I think that's a fight to make, it's a no-brainer, it's just disappointing that you know it's not talked about enough. But maybe Bivol's just waiting for that Canelo fight. I think he's just jockeying in position for the big fight. And like I said, you know, the guys like Caleb Plant and Saunders, so those fighters are just trying to preserve their and beat in record for for a fight of that magnitude. It doesn't do them the best favours when it comes to it. But yeah, Dimitri Bivol with a win in Russia. The undercard wasn't particularly gripping. Um, Sonny Edwards in the uh, Dubai with a Brilliant victory over Jason Mama. This was a superb performance from Sonny Edwards, just a technical masterclass. I think it was a brilliant display of the sweet science from the British IBF flyweight ch- super flyweight champion, I believe, or flyweight champion, excuse me. Sorry, that's poor for me. But yeah, Edwards just dazzled, jabbed him, moved so well. And yeah, another showpiece victory. It'd be good to see more fans in the UK getting behind Sonny Edwards. And then closing out the night, the Filipino Flash at the age of 39 Shows no signs of slowing down. He knocks off another young contender, a man who was aged four when he won his first world title. Raymar Caballo is stopped in the fourth round with a lethal shot to the body. Just a brilliant performance from Donier. Just a masterclass again, once, once again, from the Filipino Flash. And um, yeah, he retains his WBC £118 title. And you know what we all want next? The inaway rematch. And in case you didn't know, Inoue is fighting on Tuesday morning, UK time in Japan. He's got a mandatory challenge to deal with, which will be, you know, a nice bit of uh, midweek boxing for us all. But yeah, in 2022, we've got to see that rematch because that fight was incredible, the first one. And I think Inoue and Donaire need it for their legacy. It'll be some occasion. And yeah, that is that is very high on the 2022 wish list for ourselves. But yeah, what a night of boxing. I think we've just about covered it all. We could go on for hours because this was just over 12 hours, up to 14 hours, I think, of just straight savagery throughout. We had all sorts. We had it all from, you know, Edwards' superb performance, Bivol, you know, cruising, basically. We had the lethal knockout from Conor Ben, one of the knockouts of the night. We had the massive upset of the night, the massive upset of the year, perhaps. There's been a big ups- a big year of upsets in the world of combat sports. You know, Kiko Martinez, Sandor Martin, George Cambosos Jr., and, and so on and so forth. But Juliana Peña defeating Amanda Nunez might just top the whole lot when it comes to that. Charles Oliveira, of course, reigning supreme at lightweight, Lomachenko doing Lomachenko things, yeah, it's just an unbelievable night, we've got one more big fight night coming up next week with the likes of Parker versus Chisora, a UFC fight night, Derek Lewis versus Dorcas as well, just a couple of smaller cards in there as well, and yeah, we're going to end 2021 with a bang, what a year it's been, and this is another night for for the history books, just an incredible, incredible night of action. Yeah, we're, we're very blessed right now to be witnessing all these fights and all these moments. And of course, it's all going to be remembered for Juliana Peña's stunning defeat. I still can't get my head around it. She has beaten Amanda Nunez Wow! Well. But yeah, until next time, folks, thank you very much for listening and we'll see you guys soon.